Thank you. Thank you so much. You can have the Beatles. I'll take this bunch right here. Amen. You don't even know who the Beatles are, I guess. <laughs> Gene Autry was a very uh, famous Hollywood movie star, cowboy. He and Roy Rogers. And uh, one night I was talking about Gene Autry in one of my messages. And my wife said, Honey, how many people do you think here even knows who Gene Autry was? So I have to change some of my people, you know, <laughs> use John Wayne or somebody else. But uh, uh, anyway, thank you, Brother Bob. Uh, right down the alley, right down the alley. I want to tell you a story just real quick. I'm not trying to add to Brother Bob's message. Nobody could do that. That was powerful. I was preaching in San Bernardino, California in 1960, probably 69 or 70. And uh, a lot of young people there. And a young lady, 22, 23 years old, came down the aisle, got saved. She said to the pastor of the church, would you please get your wife and have Evangelist Williams, get his wife. And could we go to a room? And we went to that room. And she said, I am the top mall for the Hell's Angels motorcycle gang. That meant that more boys had used her body than any other person. And live through it. She said, I want your wives to stand and face me. And I want you men to stand behind. And one of your wives is going to lift my blouse with only my back toward you men. Tattooed across her back was property of hell's angels. She said, I want you to pray for me. I got saved tonight. She said, I am going over to the big Loma Linda hospital. I'll get an appointment quick as I can. I want those surgeons to cut that out of my back. Because when I come up out of the water, I want it to read property of the land. That's what she did. She almost lost her life over blood poisoning set in where they were cutting it out of her back. But she did live. And what a testimony. Not only add that tonight to tell you, don't tell me you're saved and keep doing what you've always done. One little country black preacher told me something I will never, ever forget. He said, Dr. Williams... Tell them wherever you go, 
If you is what you was, you ain't. You can't get any better than that. If you is what you was, you ain't. You might meet Bob Holmes, and you might meet Tom Williams, and not be changed at all. But I want you to understand, if you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be changed. There's, I don't know how many of these movies that did not get taken on Sunday, and God spoke to my heart today, and you young people can have this movie tonight for $10. And I hope that you'll get one. If you say, Brother Williams can't afford one, I'll give it to you. Ms. Williams will be at the table. Take it home. Look at it. Look at it again and again. I've had so many young people across America say, I've watched that 19, 20, 25 times. This will change your life. It'll change your parents' life. And I hope that you'll stop by the table tonight and get one of them. If you don't have $10, then we'll give you one. If you'll use it, please don't take it home and just lay it down, but use it. Hope you have your Bibles with you tonight, please. Thank you again, Brother Holmes. I will long remember what you said this evening. And, and today, after the volleyball game, after the boys cheated. And, uh, I'm going to bring you a message tonight, probably on the dearest subject of Christianity that there is. I want to speak to you for a little while about prayer. There's two words that are mentioned in almost all Christian circles frequently. One is prayer, one is faith. They are the two most unpracticed things in Christianity. Talk about them, but don't do them. Brother Holmes said tonight how important obedience is. Brother Jason said how important obedience is. You see, if you obey, you will pray. If you obey, you will give. If you obey, you will win souls. If you obey, you will study your Bible. If you obey, you will obey your parents. If you obey, you will be holy. All those things are what God told you to do. Greatest question to Christians in the Bible is Luke 6.46 or John 6.46. 
Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you? Think about it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? When you pray, you do what God said. I'm going to give you four words tonight that will change your life. Please write them down. 80% of what you know tonight came through your eye. Only 20% comes through your ear. Because what you hear, you will soon forget. Take notes. That makes you look down at it, and there you have seen it with your eyes. I could tell you about my wife tonight, and I could try to describe Ms. Williams to you, and, and I'd tell you what color her hair is and so forth and all of that. But I could reach inside of my pocket and pull out her picture, and that picture would mean more to you than 10,000 words of trying to tell you what she looks like. That's why they say, and have always said, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so tonight, let me give you four words. And uh, my wife said, you said last night to those young people you weren't going to preach very long, and then you did. I said, I changed my mind. (laughs) The first word I want you to write down is adoration. Adoration, A-D-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Adoration. 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 Don't ever go to God in prayer without adoring Him. He's God. He's God. He spoke the world into existence. He and his son stood on the dawn of creation. And when there was nothing, and even an angel wing hadn't flapped, or a seraphim's voice hadn't broke the ether of the heavens, and he and his son stood there. And together, you read your New Testament, it says God through his son created all that there is. There's a new song out that's very popular, as far as I understand It's all about him. It's all about him. And I'm just in the midst of writing another song. It's all about them. The son couldn't have done it alone. The father needed the son and the son needed the father. If the father hadn't sent him, he wouldn't even have been here. Read Peter, read Paul's writings. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, over and over and over again. Don't leave the Father out. So important. You know how important it is? Jesus said, when you pray, say our Father. You don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Spirit has come, he will take of the things of mine and speak of me. And you're living in a world today where they're going to try to teach you that Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit didn't come to be sung to. The Holy Spirit didn't come to be prayed to. Show me anywhere in the Bible where anybody ever prayed to the Holy Spirit. 
Nobody even talked to him. He talked to a lot of folks, but nobody ever talked to him. Jesus said when he has come, he will take of the things of mine. And you can read that in John 14. And speak of me. And speak of me. He came to exalt Jesus Christ. To lift up the eternal son of the living God. That was his ministry. Still is. And so when we pray, we go to the Father in adoration of him. And look in your Bible, please, uh, if you would, tonight, that <coughs> the Psalms and 18, Psalm 18, and uh, Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible, if you're not familiar with it, Psalm 18, and notice here in the Psalm, and what David is saying in the 18th Psalm, verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God. The Bible declares that Jesus is a rock. The Bible declares God the Father is a rock. Uh, and uh, here we find David speaking. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress. If you don't think David meant that and knew that, he said, I see my Lord sitting at the right hand of my Lord. So, look at what David said. Nine adjectives. Nine adjectives when he comes in prayer. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God. He's my strength. In him I will trust my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemy. Nine adjectives describing God. Young people, one day when God allows you to be married, and for some of you that'll be a while, learn to adore. Learn to adore. Learn to adore your wife. You can't tell a wife too much that you love her. You can't tell her too often how pretty she is. You can't tell your husband too much how strong he is. How manly he is. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do it. When you you can't you can't overbrag God. You can't overbrag God. I don't care how big you make him, he's bigger. I don't care how smart you make him, he's smarter. I don't care how strong you make him, he's stronger. He's God. He isn't barely God. He is God. Amen. Jesus didn't barely get out of the grave. He victoriously got out of the grave. So, look please in your Bibles tonight at 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, uh, in uh, Matthew, Matthew 6, please. Matthew 6, 
And there's so many places that you could see. You could go to Isaiah 6.1 and see Isaiah adoring God in his greatness, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple and so forth. And in Matthew 6, and the Bible says uh, in verse uh, chapter 6, he says in verse 9, I'll be there in a minute. Matthew 6, verse 9, and he said to him, Full well ye reject. No, that's chapter 7. Where's somebody got chapter 6 out of my Bible? Chapter 6, there it is. And verse 9, but he shot none that. I don't use notes, and so I'm in trouble now. Anyway, trust me that this Bible is full of adoration for God. (laughs) And I'm full of adoration for Him. And I love Him. Where where are we? Okay. After this, yeah. What chapter is that? Six? Boy, what am I looking at? (laughs) Oh, I'm in Mark. (laughs) Boy, sometimes... Uh, bifocals jump everywhere. <laughs> Thank you, sir. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can find the same thing in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke, uh, where they ask the Lord how to pray, and he. this is exactly what he said. Pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, and so forth. Give us our daily bread. Uh, and he's, he, he, here he's bragging on God. And all the way through the scriptures, uh, we can see God at being adored, not only by man, but by angels. Uh, and over and over again, And you need to learn when you come into the presence of God. Remember, he's God. I talked to one of the richest men in America. And he said to me, uh, I've heard your prayer school and I've been to it and and all. And he said, I just want you to know that I believe I can sit in this chair and talk to God as good as you can on your knees. I looked him in the eye and I said, so what? If you could, why would you? Tears started running down his cheeks. He said, you're right. Why would I? He's God. He's God. Young people, if the Queen of England came out, or the king now, if he came through that door, we have no allegiance to him or anything. But if he came through that door tonight, common sense would tell you, stand. Give honor to whom honor's due. And that's just a man. Oh, how much we owe God. And we need to learn to humble ourselves before him. And on our knees cry out. Solomon, the smartest man that ever lived, when he got ready to dedicate the the temple or or the 
for God, the house he built for God, he, he, he got down on his knees and prayed. He built a platform so every all of Israel could see him and that the visiting nations could see him. And he got up there and he walked along that platform and he fell down upon his knees, lifted his hands toward heaven and prayed. Daniel. Daniel, the great servant of God, vice president of planet Earth, got down on his knees three times a day. You need to humble yourself, young person, mother and daddy here tonight, before God. Before God. I get so aggravated at the time we live in. Uh, There's things come across my desk and as fast as I get them in the trash can, I can. God's like an aspirin. He does good. Honk if you know Jesus. Why don't you say burp if you know Napoleon? That makes no sense. The the second person of the Godhead of heaven, and you're going to go beep, 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 beep. We've lost our our being. We ought to tremble when we come to prayer. We ought to be broken when we come to prayer. Adoration. Be sure you adore God every time you come. Examination is the second word. Examination. You're familiar with that word. They have examinations in school all the time. You know why they have exams? To find out what you forgot. Not what you know, but what you forgot. You should have known. Examination. And look what the Bible says about examination. Look at Psalm 26, 2. Psalm 26 and verse 2. And the Bible says at this portion here in Psalm 26 and verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Your reins are what's your whole inside of you. Try my reins and me. And oh God, examine me. You know what David prayed in the 139th Psalm? Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. He didn't ask the FBI to search him. They could miss something. He didn't ask the CIA to search him. They could miss something. They didn't, he didn't want you to run us through some detection thing. They could miss something. He asked God, search me, O God. Would you do that tonight, young person? Would you do that tonight, mom and dad visiting here tonight? Search me, O God. He doesn't miss a thing, young person. He knows what's on your cell phone. He knows what's on your computer. He knows what's between your mattresses. 
He knows what you do when you're by yourself. He knows what you do out with somebody in a carload of kids or something. God knows. He, you know, we act like God lives at church. Let me tell you, God lives where you are. This isn't the church. This is a church house. You're the church. You're the church. Read it, Peter said. The church is built of lively stones. We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. Tonight, would you dare examine yourself tonight? Would you dare ask God to examine you? The God who knows what you said on the way out here tonight, or what you said out there maybe when you lost a game, or what somebody did wrong to you and you under your breath said some things. God hears every word you speak. God hears every word I speak. One day I'll have to stand before God and God will play every word I've ever preached back to me. And he said, you know what your words are going to do? They're going to condemn you. You're going to say, Lord, I didn't say that. And he'll just flip it on. And in your own voice, you will hear what you said. You say, that take a long time. He ain't in any hurry. Did you know if you died tonight, you'd get to heaven on the same day that the Apostle Paul did? Because there ain't no night there. <laughs> My wife... Always asking me a question, Ben. I, when she says, "Okay, man of God, how about this?" I was like, Ooh. and I quickly pray, "Oh, heavenly Father, I love you. You're so wonderful. Because I can't ask what you don't know. Tell me, tell me something to tell her." Look at First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, uh, if you go to church much, and I think Pastor... Shook said, you're going to have communion this coming Sunday night. And uh, in a lot of churches, perhaps this one, down here is a table with the words on it, in remembrance of me. And we're to remember what it says here in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll not read all the verses uh, in verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
After the same manner also he took the cup, which he had supped, saying, This is cup, this is a new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Some time ago, Ms. Williams said, Honey, how come so many of God's people are sick and dying? And I said, Well, sweetheart, I, I don't have all the answers, but let me read you a verse or two from the Bible. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, read it with me please, verse 30, For this cause, Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep dead. So many of God's people today are sick, physically sick and dead because they took communion lightly. Young person, I tell you this evening, you would be better off never to have communion than not to remember the shed blood of your Savior that Brother Bob so graphically gave us tonight. I mean by Roman whip and thorn and fist and spear and and spike and and all the blood, all the blood of Christ. You, you, You must remember, you have to remember, young person, the blood was shed for you. The life is in the blood. You can live without a leg tonight. You can live without a kidney. You can live without a lot of things. But they take the blood out of your body, you'll die. The life is in the blood. You take the blood from this blessed old book, young person, and it dies. Outside of the blood of Christ, there is no hope of salvation. There is no hope of a holy life. There is no hope of living for God without the blood. Without the blood. And so it says here, many are weak, many are sickly among you. You know why? Because you won't examine yourself or you just say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, to have communion today. I, I'm not ready for it. God knows my life. God knows what I did this week. God knows what is going on in my life. I went to India and preached for two weeks. Over there, they take communion every day. I'm not so sure. I think I would. I don't know. I've never been a pastor. I think I would have communion at least every week. I tell you, I never felt so clean in my life, young person. Taking communion every morning and having to give an account to God before I took it about what my life was really like. Don't you dare, mother and daddy, young person, ever take communion again without sensing the whiplash of the Roman whip. Without that 
awful cry from Calvary. His Slavic lands had quit working. His mouth was like a parchment now. His tongue couldn't separate itself. Read your scriptures. My tongue is cleavened to my jaw. But they didn't get water. A cool drink of water. They put some vinegar on a sponge and crammed it in his mouth. Don't you dare take communion without thinking of all that God did for you. You'd be a fool to do that. You'd be a fool to do that. wonderful to be a Christian but there's a lot of responsibilities that go with it it's wonderful to be parents but oh the responsibility the third word is desperation desperation it's like a man going down the Niagara River. And I've stood there, I don't know how many times, and those thunderous falls are pouring over 180 feet down to the rocks. And here's a man coming down the river, and the pen has sheared on his motor, on his boat, and he's drifting without any hope toward the falls. I can promise you this. He is not saying, help. Does somebody help me? You help. No. He's screaming at the top of his voice. Help! You can yell like that if you'll learn to use your diaphragm. You see, we don't pray desperately. We're not desperate for God to do something. We're not desperate. Can you name all 50 states and the capitals? I've gone from college to college to college and give them papers and pencils and said, write down over every country that you can think of, that you know of, on your paper. The most I've ever had is 62. And you know what? There's 234 countries in this world. Young person, this world, what do you say? Go into all the world. How long has it been since you prayed? for Africa and the the 50-something states of that country. 
How long has it been since you named South America and all of the countries there before God? How long has it been, teenager, since you just named the streets in your city? How long, preacher, has it been since you got you a map of your city and prayed up and down the roads of that city? I tell you, we're not desperate yet. Did you know every nation in the world has teenagers? And they all need prayer. They all need prayer. Why would you just pray in your little circle? Why would you just pray in this? Oh, backslidden lot. I mean, backslidden lot. I mean, a guy that was so far from God, it's impossible to think he was saved except God said he was. And you know what? He's, he's running out across the plains trying to get to safety. And, and an angel's got his daughter by one hand, his daughter's by one hand, and the angel's got him and his wife, and they're running out across there. And you know what old Lot's doing? He's praying for a city. Not one or two individuals. He said, spare that little city called Zoar. Spare that. And you know what? The God of eternity answered that prayer and spared that city. How long, young person, has it been that you named the city you live in and you could even tell me now what the, the population is and you could name some streets in that city and you have prayed for them. You have called them out to the name, to the almighty God of heaven. We're not desperate yet. We're not even desperate to see our loved ones saved. How often do you name your loved ones to God? The average parent in America prays two minutes a day for their children. Stop and stop and think. I'm telling you the truth. Two minutes a day. The average parent prays for their children. No wonder our children are a mess. Huh? If we prayed one-tenth as much as we watch TV, we would be super Christians. Huh? Desperation. Desperate. Listen to David. I cried with my voice and the Lord heard me. And you watch David, and over and over, David cried unto the Lord. And notice an example of this in the scriptures in Luke chapter 18. Would you please? Luke and chapter 18. The Lord Jesus is speaking, Luke 18, 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint saying there was in a city a judge which, which feared not God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. 
And will not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? This woman was desperate. Her husband was in the cemetery and a man's trying to take all of her property and he's going to do it. And she runs down to the judge and she said, Judge, you got to help me. And he said, Loman, I don't fear God and I don't regard man. That's quite a politician. But he said, I'm not going to help you. And he thought that was the end of it. And he went up back in his chamber and he was in there all morning and he came out and at noon she said, Judge, you got to help me. He went on to lunch. He said, that'll discourage her. She'll go home. And he came back from lunch and she said, Judge, you've got to help me. And that night when he came out of the chamber, she said, Judge, you've got to help me. And the next morning he figured he'd never see her again. But she was sitting there when he got there and said, Judge, you've got to help me. And when he came out at noon, Judge, you've got to help me. And when he came out at night, Judge, you've got to help me. And this went on day after day after day after day until he said, You know, I don't fear God and I don't regard man, but I'm going to answer this woman. She's going to run me nuts. Huh? Come here, preacher. Preacher has raised children uh, and... Uh, He's got a little old grandbaby now. Amen? Yes, sir. Boy, amen. And, and you know, pretty soon there, that little fellow's going to grow up, and he's going to be down here, and John's going to be talking to the little boy's daddy. But he knows what he can get from Grandpa. And so he gets his coattail here. <laughs> little fellow standing on the floor. He says, Granddad, Paul, 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 Paul. Papa, John just keeps talking uh, to his daddy uh, and uh, Papa, Papa. And that's what he said, you know, what do you want? And the little guy says, and he gives it to him. <laughs> and boy, they are tenacious. They are tenacious. If you don't learn anything else tonight, son, learn to be tenacious or you ain't ever going to find a wife. <laughs> God wants you to take hold to him and never turn loose till the answer comes. Till the answer comes. That lady, that lady that was visiting here Sunday, I was a dear friend of her husband who was a preacher. Bob got cancer. And we prayed and we prayed. God delivered him of cancer. And I was with him the day that the doctor told him, Bob, you've beat cancer. But it's destroyed your kidneys. You're going to have to go on dialysis. And God broke my heart. And I said, Bob, I'll pray for you until you get off of dialysis. For seven years, Ms. Williams and I prayed for Bob to get off of dialysis. Three years ago, in June, last June, we got a text one day, and he said, Brother Williams, thank you all for praying for seven years. My granddaughter's on a plane coming home from China, and she's going to give me a kidney. And they went over to the big university hospital there in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And had it 
that performed and both of them came out victorious and Bob was delivered from dialysis. You know what Jesus is saying in verse 1 of this young people? He's saying, once you start, don't quit. I prayed for my daddy for 12 years. My daddy was a good man, a wonderful man, a hard-working man. And there was 14 of us children. We never went hungry. We always had a house to live in and, and so forth. But I, I want you to understand, my daddy was a hard man. I mean a hard man. And, and I used to preach, and he'd get up and walk down the aisle and stand right there and say, I don't believe anything you're saying. Walk out of the building. He'd get me in front of my eight brothers. He'd say, I'm proud of all of you. You're Williamses. You work for a living. I'm ashamed of the Tom. He preaches and people gives him money. He's a charity case. Twelve years. One night at midnight, my mother was lying there beside him. She's a godly woman. He shook her and he said, Delia, do you really believe what Tommy preaches is the truth? She said, you know it is, Ross. That's why you're awake. And my old daddy rolled out on his knees and got sick. Then I was the greatest kid he had. (laughs) He'd tell all of his business associates, yep, Boy, you got to come here, Tom. He can really preach. <laughs> Just a little while before he died. He sent me a note. He said, I want you to preach my funeral. And I want you to preach just like you did at Mother's. Spend one minute telling him who Ross Williams was. And 59 who is Savior is. 900 people at his funeral. He was well known. Are you a desperate young person? Do you really want mom and dad saved? Do you really want their marriage straightened out? Do you really want a home where Christ lives? Do you really really want God to do something? Young people, you know, young ladies come and say, Brother Williams, uh, you you know, the the church I go to, all the boys are, ain't nothing to them. Brother Williams, I I, I want you to pray in somebody I can marry. I said, you pray them in. Get in your closet. Get on your knees. Say, Father, you know this boy that I'm wanting to marry. He'll be about 5'11", and he'll have blonde hair, and he'll be real good looking. And uh, wherever his daddy works, have him get fired and move over here. You say, you believe God will do that, preacher? He said, you have not because you asked not. You don't believe that, do you? <laughs> yeah, he will. Yeah. 
You, you get down and pray. And he said, you just don't give up. Once you start praying, don't you quit. It seems like I read another verse in the Bible. It said, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. What did verse 18 say? Jesus said, don't faint. Just keep on. Keep on hammering it. Keep on praying. Keep on believing God. Notice, if you would please very quickly, Luke the 11th chapter. Luke, the 11th chapter. And here we have another prime example of what I'm trying to tell you. Luke, and chapter 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. But a friend of mine is in his journey. He come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, seek, knock. Take those three words and write them down and draw the first letter off of each one of those words and it says ask. Ask, 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 ask. You have not because you ask not, James said. Get down before God, young person, and ask him to make your mother and daddy Christians. Ask him to make your grandparents Christians. Ask him to save that boy that you'd like to get interested in. Ask him to save that girl that you'd like to be be interested in. And and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. George Mueller, the greatest man on faith on earth that probably ever was. And George Mueller prayed 50 Five years for the same man to be saved and never saw him saved. Two years after Mueller died, the man got saved. George Mueller got a broken heart for all of the rag muffins of England. All of the poor kids on the streets and everywhere. And he began to believe God to feed them. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And those orphanages he built were just second to none. And then one morning, 2,000 young children and there wasn't a thing to eat. He said, children, bow your head. We must thank our Father for the food. There wasn't any food. And Mueller thanked the father for the food. He had not finished praying till there came a knock at the door and it was the local baker. And he said, uh, my whole crew, uh, last night we just couldn't sleep. And he said, we baked all night long. And these buggies and, and wagons you see here are full of bread. You, could, you think you could use it? And 2,000 orphans ate breakfast. I tell you, young people, there's a God. There's a God. Cry aloud. Cry out to him. 
Look at 1 Samuel 1. I don't have time to go there. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here's a woman that wants a baby. She can't have a baby. For years, her uh, uh, Elkanah had two wives. One of them was named Peninnah. And Peninnah could have children. Hannah couldn't have children. Hannah was good looking. Peninnah wasn't so hot. Uh, But uh, she could have babies. Uh, and uh, so he said, I know he loves you more than, you, than he loves me, but you can't have children. And I'm, I'm his favorite because I give him children and you can't. And year after year, the Bible says in First Samuel, she rode Hannah's back like you'd ride a horse. I mean, just on it all the time. And Hannah is praying and fasting every time when they go to the temple for them to Elkanah to set things right with God there about his tithe and everything. And she would be there and she'd weep and she'd cry. And you read all the things that she did. And she wept sore. She wept sore. My Wife was sick 27 years. I wept, I wept, I wept. But I believe there's only one time in my life I've wept sore. I went to India to preach. M.A. Thomas has a great work over there. He said to me one morning, Preacher, I want you to go out with me to one of our orphanages. And just down a little ways, maybe a quarter of a mile from the orphanage uh, is a leper colony that we have. I want you to go with me. So we went. We got there, and in just a little while, starting out of the leper colony, here came, I I didn't count them, but there was a number of women, and each one of them had a child in their arms just below four years old. If they don't give up their children by the time they're four years old, they too will be lepers. And out of the orphanage comes a woman. And she meets this one lady. And this lady hugs, screams, cries, kisses. For the last time, she's going to hold her child. When that one's over with, here comes another one and another one and another. And finally, I just fell to the ground. I said, Mr. Thomas, I... I've never seen anything like this in my life. I, I said, I've wept till I can't. I can't even stand. I'm so weak. And I believe, young person, mom and dad, that probably I wept sore. And that's how Hannah wept for a baby boy. I want a baby boy. And she wanted him so bad. Said if you'll give him to me. If you'll get, give me, make me with child. And my son is born. Just soon as I can. At about three years old. I'll bring him down here. And he can live with Eli. And serve you with all of his heart. And there came the greatest prophet. Of the Old Testament Samuel. You ready to give up your baby at four years? See, we're not desperate. The last word I want to give you is expectation. Expectation. Young people, please learn tonight. 
Mom and Dad, you can pray and pray and pray and pray, but till you expect it's going to happen, it ain't. Jesus said to the, the, the man with the demonic son, he said, if you believe, if you believe, all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. Coming up through the rank of 62 years as an evangelist, we went through some tremendous, tremendous times earlier on uh, when we were so broke, if it cost a nickel to go around the world, I couldn't have untracked. I mean, poor. I mean, we were desperate. God spoke to my heart, and he said, Tom, go to the grocery store. I mean, we had nothing to eat. Somebody gave us a case of Spam. I hate Spam. The only way I like spam is open the whole can, put it on a board, salt it till you can't see it, pepper it till you can't see it, and cook it at 400 degrees for eight hours. And then you throw the spam away and eat the board. We had nothing. He said, Tom, go to the grocery store. I said, Father, we don't have any money. He said, I didn't ask if you had money. Just go to the store. So I went in the house and I said to my wife, Honey, come on, get the kids and let's get in the car. We're going to the store. Oh, she said, somebody came by and gave me some money. I said, no. God just said, go to the store. Go to the grocery store. So we went down to the grocery store and we went in and I said to my wife, Now, put as much as you can on that buggy. Put as much as you can. Boy, did she know how. I mean, she loaded that thing up. We wound up at the meat market. She forced hamburger into every crack there was. I said, okay, you start for the check stand. She said, you start for the check stand. I said, okay. I took the buggy. God's my witness. I started up the aisle. And I got up there where you break out and there's all the cash registers. And I headed for the closest one. Out of the peripheral vision of this eye, I saw somebody approaching and I turned and it was a very attractively dressed lady. And she came and she put her body right in front of that basket. And she said, Sir, God just told me to pay for everything in that basket. There's a God! He just wants somebody to believe He's there. He just wants somebody to believe He'll do what He said He would do. See, what people don't understand about faith, look, it doesn't take any more faith to fill the basket than it does to buy a jar of peanut butter when you don't have any money to pay for either one of them. They're the same. One day, going to the airport, had a, had a fellow that drove us up there, and when my wife was still in her uh, condition, uh, we'd put her in the front seat, 
and then the helper and I would ride in the back seat, and, and uh, John was driving. And I, I never take my coat off in public, but I took it off that morning, and I laid it in the seat beside me. And when we got to the, I said, John, uh, here is the tape. Uh, take it back to the to the, my secretary and have her type these letters. They need to go. And and I got out, and the sky cap came and checked our luggage in, and I got Miss Williams' wheelchair, and we started for the airplane, and we got part way down there, and I said, I forgot my coat. He's got some papers in it. I've got to have those papers. I said, bow your head. And I said, I, I prayed, and I said, Father, John's halfway back to Murfreesboro by now, and, and I said, the van seats are so high, he'll never see them. And, and I said, John, uh, oh, just tell him, Lord, tell John that my coat's in the back seat and notice it and tell him I'll be out at the curb waiting on it and bring it back. And I went out to the curb and the sky captain named George, he, he said, uh, Mr. Williams, didn't I check your bags in right? And I said, yeah, George, you always do a good job. And uh, he said, what are, you, what are you doing out here? You're going to miss your plane. I said, no, George. I, I said, I forgot my coat. Well, he said, that guy's halfway home by now. I said, I know, but I told God to tell him that my coat's in the back seat. Look back there and see it and bring it back. I'd be out here waiting on him. <laughs> he got right up next to me. I mean, next to me. He said, you don't mind if I wait, will you? I said, no, I don't mind, George. A little while, John came driving up. He rolled out the window, and he said, you've been praying? I said, uh-huh. He said, I thought so. God told me the coat was in the back seat. Bring it back to you. You'll be waiting for it. George said this. He did just what you said he was going to do. I said, yeah, he did, George. Young people, I know thousands of people, thousands, that don't mind praying if they don't have to go to the curb. People say, Brother Williams, how do you ever come to a place where you can say, God's going to do something? I said, when you get to a place where you're willing to put your name on the same line as his. You say, preacher, what if the guy hadn't have come back? Oh, but he did. I was hunting in Montana years ago, and my right eye just started doing something real funny, and I couldn't see any more out of it, and so as soon as I got back home, I went to my optometrist, and he said, Brother Williams, he, he said, uh, look, he, he said, I'm just a, just a normal optometrist. You need a specialist. I'll make an appointment for you. So he did, and I went over there, and he's one of these guys that takes and pulls your eye out, and you know, and rolls it around and looks at it. And uh, so he said, uh, sir, you have a retina tear, and with any heartbeat, that can go the whole way. And he said, if it does, you'll be blind in that eye the rest of your life. He said, now, for $3,000, I can take my laser beam and put a circle around that, and it'll never go anywhere. I said, Doc, we got a problem. He said, what is it? I said, I don't have $3,000. 
I said, but I know how to pray. Now, you tell your secretary right now to make me an appointment for two weeks from right now. And I'll be back in two weeks and show you what God can do. He kind of grinned. He said, okay. So he gave me an appointment. I went in after two weeks. He got my eye out looked at it. He looked at me and he said, sir, there's not a doctor in the world that could do to that eye what's been done. Every time I've had an optometrist look in my eye ever since then, and I've had cataract surgery and everything else, they say, what happened to your right eye? So I got to tell them a story. They sent me to a guy that does nothing but retinas. And he said, go back down to the department that sent you up here and tell them they can drive a dump truck over your eye. It ain't going anywhere. There's a God. There's a God, young person. Oh, if you could get a hold of that tonight, how your life would be changed, how it would be rearranged, if I could just get you to believe there's a God, He hears prayer, and He answers prayer, and just like you heard Brother Bob preach tonight, His arm ain't short. Even Moses, when God said He's going to feed Israel 30 days meat until it came out their nose, even Moses said, you want me to kill all the animals and so you can keep your word? You want me to catch all the fish so you can keep your word? And he said, Moses, Moses, is my arm short that I cannot perform that which I said? He told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. She got with child at 90 years of age. Abraham's 100. She goes down. I've always thought this would be great. She goes down to the maternity shop. And she goes in and the young waiter, wait, the young girl that works there come over and said, yes ma'am, how far along is your great granddaughter? She said, my great granddaughter? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. How, how far along is your granddaughter? My granddaughter? How, how far along is your daughter? He said, my daughter? She said, Can you imagine walking in tonight to the hospital and a 90-year-old woman is with child? But sure enough, out of the tent of a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old lady came the voice of a newborn. You know why? There's a God! He keeps His Word! How many of you young people ever heard Larry Brown preach? The evangelist? Larry's oldest son, Joe, called me. He said, uh, Brother Williams, I know that your wife was in a coma for six months. And he said, uh, 
You know, Mama's dying of cancer. She's gone into a coma, and the doctor said she'll go from the coma into death. He said, Brother Williams, what's my responsibility to my mother in a coma? How do you act? I said, well, Joe, they'll tell you she can't hear, but she can. I said, you just go in the room saying, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Walk over and give mom a kiss on the cheek and say, mom, it's old Joe. God's in charge. Jesus is sitting there at his right hand. He said, just like that, Brother Williams? I said, yeah, just like that. So I started to hang up like I usually do. And Joe said, Brother Williams, Brother Williams. He said, do you think you could pray and my mother would wake up? I've got a sister in Tanzania, Africa, as a missionary. And she's on her way home right now because she never got to be here when mother was telling all of us goodbye, told daddy goodbye and all of us other kids goodbye. But she never got to tell her goodbye and she never got to tell mother goodbye. And, and, and she, brother, she'll be in at O'Hare Field in a couple of hours or so. Uh, do, do you think that you could pray and mom would wake up? Oh, I said, absolutely, Joe. Just put your speaker on, just where it's on speaker, your cell phone, put it down by your ear. And I said, Ms. Brown, this brother Tom Williams, I said, you've got one more. You've got to tell goodbye. And I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, just set up because she's going to be here in a little while. And I said, Joe, I'll be talking to you. He said, okay. He called me the next morning. He said, Brother Williams, you hadn't more than said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ than Mom said straight up. Said I went and got my sister and, and brought her back and, and said her and Mom spent all afternoon together just rejoicing and hugging one another and kissing one another and, and laughing together and said, Brother Williams, uh, we're in the van this morning. Dad's driving. Mama's sitting by him and, and we're on our way home. You say, but Brother Williams, what if she hadn't woke up? Oh, but she did. Huh? Right in Raleigh, North Carolina, was a man named Randy Cox, Dr. Randy Cox. Had quite a big church up there. One day, he asked one of his men to call. And he called he said, it's an emergency. Brother Williams called Dr. Cox right away. So I did. I said, Doc, what's going on? He said, my wife just died. We've been married 54 and a half years. They've been in here twice to get her body. I can't turn her hand loose. Preacher, how do you turn a hand loose that you have loved and held for 54 and a half years? He said, you buried two wives. Tell me, tell me, how do I turn loose? I said, Brother Cox, just put your cell phone on speaker. Put it down by your ear. I said, Miss Cox, your husband don't know how to tell you goodbye. Sit up. Talk to him. Tell him goodbye. I hung up. He called me back. He said, Preacher, my, old, my oldest daughter was in the room, married woman. A couple from our church was in the room. They saw what I saw and said, my wife sat up. We hugged. We kissed. We laughed. We cried. 
for 20 minutes, the best 20 minutes of the 54 years. And they told each other, see you on the other side. And she laid back and was gone. You say, Brother Vince, I don't believe that. I really don't care. You probably don't believe Peter raised darkness, but he did. You probably don't believe Elijah laid down on a boy's body and he sneezed seven times and the boy got up and lived. You probably don't believe that Jesus called Lazarus and he came back from the grave even though he had been again to stink. And on and on and on and on and on. I could tell you a lot of stories, just like Brother Bob could keep telling those stories he was telling. And he could tell you, that, like those stories he told out at the court today and God's provision and all of last night. You know why? Because there's a God. There's a God. Now, if you want to believe those dumb professors down at school, go ahead. But let me tell you this. If Pontius Pilate who walked the same streets, lived in the same town where Christ spent much of his life. He tried him three times, three times, and every time said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Now, if, if Pontius Pilate, who walked the same streets and in the same town, and he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, you tell me how some pea-brained professor over here at the university finds anything wrong with him. I want you to understand tonight, there isn't anything wrong with him. He's the sinless, spotless Lamb of the living God. And he sits at the right hand of his father, saying in Hebrews 7.25, I'm willing and able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by me, seeing that I ever live to make intercession. I was standing in the airport in Denver, Colorado, about dressed about like I am right now, nice western clothes and the guy standing beside me had on a nice business suit. And I said, what do you do? What do you do? He said, I work for NASA. I've been with them ever since the conception of the space age. He said, I'm just coming in from the Orient right now on a big mission. I said, boy, sounds like you've got a big job. Oh, he said, I do. He said, what do you do? I said, I work for the man that made space. Young person, I don't care who you're talking to. You don't ever have to be ashamed of our God. Amen. You don't ever have to be ashamed of His Son, Jesus Christ. The poet said, Ashamed of Jesus rather soon might midday blush to say it's not. Ashamed of Jesus rather far might midnight be ashamed to own a star. Paul's power, young person, lay in the fact 
I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the Son of God. I'm not ashamed to preach the death, the burial, the resurrection of my Savior.